This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Payer Issues Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Doug Sternick, Vice President of Managed Care and Payer Relations at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. Doug, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about, but before we dive into our discussion, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background? Certainly. I have been, uh, this is going on my 10th year at Cedar sinai um, and it's my second tour of duty here. I worked here uh, previously, um, but my background is uh, managed care for pretty much my whole career um, it, it, with it providers. And then I worked for a blues plan for about nine years um, in uh, San Francisco and um, began my career in health benefits consulting for large self-insured employers. Got it. So you've definitely had quite a career and a lot of experience heading into, um, you know, your your role at Cedar sinai and especially over the past couple years um, during the pandemic. How have you seen things change? Well, um, we're in our entering our third year of COVID, uh, as as you know, and it has really taken a toll on certainly on society, but uh, on caregivers as well. Um, we have an incredibly dedicated and engaged workforce of caregivers here, but many um, people in healthcare are tired, um, exhausted. It's uh, it's it's been a battle. It's been a war, a war on COVID, and um, the, you know, for some frustrations a- along the way, we're now um, in a new surge. We've had really significant increases in um, our census uh, over the past many weeks. Um, and we're, we're marching on and, and uh, moving forward and trying to pitch in as best we can. Those of us like me who are not on the front lines are, are cheering our caregivers um, on the sidelines and definitely being present and supportive. Uh, it is... Um, really been challenging for all of us in in so, so many ways. And um, there's been a lot of redeployment of resources, you know, to address the pandemic. Um, there've been some good things. Uh, when I say good, I'm referring to the, uh, how care has been received and the use of tele- telemedicine and remote, remote health. That is something that really accelerated through this. Um, Hopefully that's going to continue. But but, uh, at the same time, you know, some of the innovations in value-based care um, may have slowed a bit uh, because uh, not because of any desire to not move forward uh, and all of us trying to make a better healthcare system, but facing the crisis that we've been facing, having to address you know, really what's what's before us. And so um, my hats go off to those on the front lines every day, you know, early on in the crisis, um, very early on, you uh, remember, you probably remember in New York where they people were banging pots every night and, and really saluting those people. And there was a lot of gratitude uh, on the part of, of society for people risking their lives for us. And, you know, things have changed quite a bit. Um, and uh, I think a, a lot of that appreciation has waned and um, it's made the jobs, you know, more challenging in, in dealing with uh, with COVID. So it's, um, it's tough. 
um, it, it's it's tough. Uh, I, I might uh, I feel I, I feel for uh, providers all across the country. You know, we're all we're all in this together, and um, I'm hoping that that um, after this wave, uh, you know, we're, this we're going to be able to manage differently, and hopefully potentially be more chronic in nature and. Um, you know, we've we've lost so many lives, um, and um, it's it's just you know a real, a real tragedy. Absolutely, I think you put that really well in terms of looking back at how the pandemic started, what things were like, and then you know still today dealing with a lot of the same issues um, and, and just having a very different atmosphere to have to work in. Um, so thank you so much for acknowledging that because I think it's so important. Considering, you know, everything we have discussed already in terms of the lingering pandemic um, and, and workforce challenges and burnout challenges, um, what are the top one or two issues that are consuming most of your time today? Well, um, uh, the, a couple of things that are keep keeping me up at night and, and, and uh, not just me, but, 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 but a lot of us is um, there are providers have been having tremendous cash challenges. Um, there's been significant delays in payments on the part of insurance organizations, and 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 some of that, you know, may be the result of these plans having their own labor constraints and labor issues, but um, it's caused a real financial strain on providers uh, and trying to manage um, with increased costs and the uh, you know the increased difficulty of of receiving monies and funds for uh, services that have been rendered um, for the covered lives who have insurance. And so we've been working as best we can with, with our payers. And, um, you know, we're fortunate here in Los Angeles to have um, some great payers and, and really good relationships with them to try and address this. But, uh, you know, certainly smaller hospitals um, have been very, very challenged and, um uh, you, that's something that I think uh, really we've got to do a better job as an industry and uh, and what we've been able to do so far as it relates to the ability to to make payments. And the other real the, the other piece of this is inflation and uh, and inflation has come fast and furious. Um, we as an industry have been focused on bending and breaking the cost curve, which we like to say. And so over the past many years, we've been challenging ourselves to accept lower levels of rate increases, in some cases taking rate decreases for certain things. Um, and, and, you know, now we're finding ourselves with really significant cost challenges uh, with supply costs going up extraordinarily high and labor costs. And so the uh, the cost to deliver care is really under strain from an inflationary perspective. Yet um, the payments that we're, we've been receiving from the plans have, have not so far reflected or had any recognition of that underlying inflation. And so, um, you know, I'm hopeful that the plans uh, recognize that these are not normal times and um, uh, healthcare providers uh, simply cannot wish inflation away and avoid uh, being impacted by it, which, which means um, 
if as the cost of care goes up, the reimbursement for care needs to be commensurate for that if we're going to continue to be able to provide, you know, quality care. And those are difficult discussions um, because we, we're all working to lower lower the cost of care as best we can by being more efficient and, you know, doing things differently. But we, we've got to recognize that a big part of healthcare is supply and labor. And when those costs are going up, you know, the, the uh, reimbursement has to be addressed or the, it just, the equation doesn't work any other way. So the, those, um, those difficult discussions with the plans are, you know, beginning now. And, and we haven't really talked about inflation for a very long time in in uh, in our discussions with the health plans, and so that's new. And I'm hoping that um, there is going to be the recognition for our new reality. And I'm also hoping that this reality is finite in terms of the time that we're dealing with this. I'm hoping, uh, as we all are, that inflation um, is not uh, the new normal, but uh, the result of supply chain issues and a variety of other things that hopefully will work themselves out sooner rather than later, but that we definitely, you know, we definitely need to address that. And then the other, the other thing that COVID has done, um, and here in California, we, um, we have a lot of relationships with insurance companies that involve taking risk um, and being paid differently. And, and we're really moving towards, across the country towards new models of care and care delivery. And so um, you know, one of the things I always say is, um, you know, providers are great at care and insurers are great at um, determining how, how to calculate actuarially what the expect expected costs would be and pricing appropriately. And really those are unique competencies to both. And, there are some that are good at both of those, but for the most part, um, working together, providers and payers, is 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 really the the best way to accomplish what's needed. Um, and in that vein, when we agreed to take on risk, as an example, <clears throat> capitation rates, we we never assumed a global pandemic would descend upon us, and so. Um, there are things that what I would say would be reasonable for a provider in terms of risk, and then there are things that um, an organization, an insurance company who is in the business of managing risk is is really the most appropriate person to, to hold that. And so there have been discussions about um, delays in care resulting in costs going down on a temporary basis, but then... Um, uh, the, all of the testing that has gone on and copay waivers and all of these other things um, being put on the responsibility of providers in California uh, as sort of the cost of doing business. And it's been um, extraordinarily expensive and nothing that we've budgeted for. So there have been a lot of discussions back and forth. There um, has been legislation about this. And so I think it's, um, for me, it's, it's a wake-up call as we move towards you know, taking on more risk as providers move to down that path that um, to be very mindful of 
uh, unforeseen issues. You know, I'm not I'm not looking for another global pandemic, but um, again, insurers are in the business of insuring risk, and providers are in the business of providing care. And when you know the rules of engagement, meaning, you know, these are your tools, these are the, this is what you have to care for, um, then providers can look at that and, and be comfortable taking on more risk. But with technology and new drugs launching and um, escalation of specialty pharmacy costs and all of these other things, um, it, it's very, very tricky. And so I think as we move towards value and move towards taking on more risk, we've got to be mindful and be more careful as providers about how far we go and working with health plan partners together and recognizing there are certain things that really are beyond a provider's ability to control from a cost perspective and or to foresee. And um, those really should continue to be, in my opinion, on the ledger of the insurance company side. So I think um, once we get through this, we're all going to look at risk a little differently and be more mindful and more careful about um, entering into relationships. I, I'm, I don't think it's going to stop the movement towards value, but I think it's going to create it's, – I, I hope we learn from it. And it's going to create um, a level of uh, mindfulness and planning and cautiousness and, frankly, working more closely – with the plans to define what what it means uh, to to work in the world of risk. That's really interesting to hear, and obviously something that I know a lot of health systems are dealing with, trying to understand and figure out what the new standard is going to be for value based care for risk based contracts. And you know, is there anything from the um, past few years that you know you really will take into the future as a lesson learned or something that? Um, you know, especially when you're looking at inflation, what are those conversations going to look like? How are you preparing to um, work with the payers in order to ensure that you have the resources that you need and the um, programs make sense for the hospital to continue caring for patients um, in the future? Well, that's a great question, and that that's a question you could have a multi-hour podcast on, and because there's so many dimensions and variables to that. So I'll I'll try and frame mine in a in a more narrow band, um, because certainly uh, you know data is king, and um, data sharing and understanding and getting information in real time so that it can become actionable. But but really, that aside, you know, fundamentally defining what um, what your risk is in a way, and um, you know, we prefer, and I, I think a lot of health plans prefer longer-term agreements. Um, but you know, longer-term agreements with time comes added risk of uh, a pandemic, um, of uh, cost related to. Um, disasters, a whole host of things, and also um, advances in medicine that may be um, uh, that may be additive in cost and were not otherwise unforeseen. So what I would um, hope is that there would be um, as we move into more of these arrangements, I don't want people to stop 
Um, and I think the train has left the station. And, you know, one of the things that attracted me to California was um, there's been a lot of experimentation here and there's a lot of very good models for risk-based um, care that have been very effective in in um, bending the trend and creating the right kind of incentives to keep people healthy and, and do the right things. But uh, to that end, I, I what I would say is it's going to require um, even more sophistication and more thoughtful planning and um, potentially a bit of ambiguity as it relates to what the relationship is, meaning if there are changes in in the environment, in technology, in um, treatment uh, plans or options that occur in the time in which that provider and that health plan are in that risk relationship, there needs to be the ability of the relationship to recognize those new dynamics and build them in in such a way that um, is fair. And, um, you know, in the old negotiation days of I win, you lose, you know, that's that's this that is the dinosaur of, of um, negotiations. It's really, we've got to figure out how to make it a win-win for everybody. And the center of all that is doing what's right for our patients and the members of these health plans. So I do think that I'm hopeful that um, these challenges over the past several years will bring opportunities for providers and plans to work even more closely together and and respect um, the fact that as we move down more towards value and move towards more risk, that we're going to have the plans there with us as partners and really helping to manage uh, those risks that were new or unforeseen and make sure that there's appropriate funding so that we can continue long-term and make this the new reality. Because what, what, what I worry about is, is, um, oh, we have a deal and gee, there's this pandemic. Um, oops, talk to us in five years when your deal is done with no recognition of any of it. Um, that that deal <laughs> could cause financial havoc, as an example, and then you're going to have a provider that's going to say, "I'm not going to do this anymore." And so I don't want I don't want all that has happened over the past several years to cause us to regress in terms of the progress that we've made towards working together and really trying to change how healthcare is financed and delivered. So I hope um, we look ahead and learn from this. In, in such a way that we come out of it better and stronger and even more effective than we were before. That's a really great point. And, you know, it'll be so interesting to see which path, um, you know, health systems and, and insurance plans and companies are able to take um, as they try to work together to get things figured out. Um, e healthcare ecosystem is evolving as always. Um, and to that end, I know you mentioned working more closely, especially on um, some of the risk-based contracts and value-based care with the um, payers. What other changes do you anticipate um, to your payer negotiations and strategy over the next year or two? Well, I think in the near term here, as I said, with inflation, I think we're going to be thinking differently about um, 
what our needs are as it relates to pricing. We can't just pretend that inflation doesn't exist at the negotiating table. It has to be factored in. So I think that's going to create some pressures uh, that, that may drive costs, but those costs are a function of the underlying uh, costs associated with rendering care. So I think those are going to create some challenges as well. And then I think um, there's going to be some hesitancy on the part of some providers to rush towards risk, having seen what just has happened and how unforeseen it otherwise was. So I think that's going to require, as I said before, some more creativity um, in in how these arrangements are built. And then um, I think, you know, also we're going to be uh, talking about very specifically in the negotiations about, well, how do we handle new technology and how do we handle, you know, unforeseen healthcare issues. And, and, and you're not going to be able to solve that in an agreement. There's not going to be some magical algorithm to solve for the unknowns, but it's going to, you know, hopefully create a level of trust so that if we enter into a deal in, you know, July 1st of 2022 and the world changes in 2023 for whatever reason, that the, that provider and that plan can come back and can discuss what has changed, what are the implications of those changes on this relationship, and how might we, they be addressed on a real-time basis rather than upon renewal. And if we don't allow that kind of flexibility and that kind of flexibility has some ambiguity in it and makes some people uncomfortable, but if we don't allow that, then I think people are going to be much, many people will be more hesitant to enter into longer term contracts and many people may be hesitant to enter into any more risk agreements. So um, I, I do see that as a, as some things that are going to be changing in the dialogue. Well, Doug, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. This has been a really fascinating discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Certainly. It was great. Thanks for having me.